Good morning. Today's reading is from Proverbs chapter 5, which you can find on page 638 of your church Bibles. Proverbs chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And soon I was, I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. This is the word of the Lord. Jono, thank you. Uh, Morning, everyone. If we've uh, not met, my name is Matt Thorne. It'd be lovely to do so afterwards. uh, If you've forgotten who I am, I've been on holiday. I'm Matt Fuller, and it's nice to see the church family. Uh, And uh, we'll work our way through just these first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs over the summer months, 12 uh, poems uh, that appear in uh, the sort of introduction to the more familiar bits of Proverbs. And of the 12 poems, three three on this one theme of adultery. And uh, I think the writer is wanting to shock so that you... Don't go there so that we run away from there. So let's pray, and then we'll look at this together. Great God and Father, thank you that you you care so very deeply for us. You love us. You are a good Father who wants to set his children on paths of wisdom. You want to set us up for life in a A fallen world with its temptations, with its distractions, 
with a, a world which uh, we naively think we can navigate on our own without consequence. Father, thank you for the wisdom of the Scriptures. Thank you. Would we hear these words today as your loving instruction to us? Shape us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the warning, I guess. Uh, So chapter 5, verse 1. My son or daughter, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ears to my words of insight that you maintain discretion. Your lips may preserve knowledge for because the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Can you listen, please? Because you will be tempted. That's what he's saying. Can Can you listen on this issue? Temptation will come in the sexual arena. So don't sit here this morning and say, well, that's not me, because I'm a woman, and he's writing to a bloke. So that's not me. Okay, very good. Uh, yes, the Proverbs is primarily written as a father advising a young man a son, but you could pretty easily turn it around and say, don't allow the honey-tongued man to entice you into bed. You could do that. And don't sit here and say, well, it's not me, is it, because I'm single. Or it's not me because I'm way past this, let me tell you. Because just be aware, I mean, don't be aware. We're all aware of the culture that we live in, which is saturated on these sort of issues. Rare you can pick up a newspaper at the weekend which doesn't tell you, well, like our newspaper yesterday, how to best navigate uh, divorce. Because it's just so common. Because people have been had adulterous affairs. It's just normalized now. And even if it doesn't directly affect you, you'll be impacted culturally, you'll be impacted in your family by these sort of issues. It is an issue for one and all. And an issue, of course, which our culture is very confused about. It's about two years ago now, a book came out by Louise Perry. Some would have come, come across it, The Case. Uh, against the Sexual Revolution. It was an interesting book. Um, I, I read it for something I was writing. And um, uh, she, she's a feminist and has written, uh, has a good track record as a feminist, so is sort of legit in, in that camp as an author. But it's a striking book because essentially she's saying, as a feminist, that the legacy of a, a 60s sexual revolution is a very bad thing. And she rails against the idea that if you're not sex positive, phrase that she uses, uh, the idea that casual sex is good, you're you're sex positive. Uh, If you don't believe that, then you're a miserable killjoy. And her argument throughout the book is, we're all mad. (laughs) We've gone mad as a culture. Uh, My friends are saying to me, I I have to enjoy sex, even if it's really painful. I have to uh, except that kink things, kinkish things, being throttled, that's normal. I'm meant to enjoy that now. Have we all gone mad? That's mad. Why has that been normalized? How has this been normalized? We're all bonkers. Now, it sort of landed with a bit of a splash if you read such things because of her track record on feminist writings. But lots, I mean, this is one just review of it, Rachel Cook reviewing it in, in The Guardian and saying, yeah, she's right, isn't she? I mean, not the most obvious publication to agree with, hold on a minute, sexual freedom's gone out of control. 
And to be fair, in the article with Rachel Cook, the, the review of it, she says, oh, she's, she's very pro-monogamous marriage, and that's a terrible thing. Uh, but apart from that, she basically agrees with the whole thesis that sexually our culture is out of control. We're, we're affirming things which are damaging. And everyone says, that's good, isn't it? And so she's, can I just try and wake us up a little bit? This is madness. So we're in a very confused culture on this. And the writer here of um, uh, these early proverbs, and in chapter 5 and 6 and 7, three of these poems uh, address the issue of the adulteress. And the father writing to the son, that's the form it's constructed, is wanting to shock and warn. This is not a nuanced case he mounts. It's pretty pretty direct. We're going to look at it like this. Uh, The appeal of the adulteress the cost of infidelity, and the benefits of faithfulness. Uh, at the end, we consider we need to remember the Lord. Okay, But those three, primarily our time. The appeal of the adulteress, the cost of infidelity, the benefits of faithfulness. Let's work through it. The appeal of the adulteress. Now, I'm going to primarily be based in chapter 5, but we will range across uh, into chapter 6 and 7, these other two poems. Uh, four little things to highlight in the appeal of the adulteress. First would be, smooth lips. So uh, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 3, the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Well, you get the same idea in, in chapter 6, verse 24, the smooth talk of a wayward woman, stay clear of that. Chapter 7, verse 21, persuasive words, she seduced, she seduced him with her smooth talk. Talk, words, speech. Actually, the, the translation go for v- different words. It, it's always lips. Watch out for her smooth lips. And the commentators will say, well, there's a bit of an ambiguity here. Is it lips on the face? Is it vaginal lips? There's a little uh, a, a deliberate ambiguity being spoken of here. Be, just be wary of seductive words, suggestive speech, playful chat. Be careful, because that's often where the affair starts, with the words. So let's change some names. We can think of at least a couple of occasions here. Terry. Terry has been a bit married for a while, but feels that at home his emotional needs, whatever you make of that, his sexual needs, he's just a bit dissatisfied. Meanwhile, at work... Natalie's very attentive to him and, and, and laughs at all his poor jokes, or good jokes, maybe, I don't know, but laughs at all his jokes. And he finds himself talking to her about the frustrations he has with life, and the frustrations he has in his marriage. And they talk, and there's a meeting emotionally. Oh, and then it ends in the bedroom. But very often that's the way. There's an emotional adultery before a physical one. Be wary of, of that conversation. There's some obvious things, I guess. There's physical beauty. Uh, I guess it's, it's there throughout this section, but um, explicit at some points, I, I guess. Chapter 6, verse 25. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Not a lot of subtlety there. Verse 26, verse chapter 6, a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, 
but another man's wife preys on your very life. Amazing. People, I'll throw away my brain for a loaf of bread in this case. I'll completely ruin my life for the cost of a meal, for one night. And of course, in our culture, not merely having physical sex, very easy for marriages, all sorts of relationships to be ruined with online sex, TV sex, cyber sex. So look, be wary of smooth lips, be wary of physical beauty. Chapter 7, I think there's a sort of novel, novel delight will be another one. Be wary of novel delight. Let me read a little bit of uh, chapter 6, verse, sorry, chapter 7 and verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, the day was fading as the dark of night set in. Then a woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay home, now in the street, now in the squares. At every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said... Ah, oh, today I have fulfilled my vows. I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I come out to meet you, and I looked for you, and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrhs and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink of love deeply till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He'll not be home till full moon. There's the sense of a novelty. Come and try something new. Come to my bed with its Egyptian cotton. That's not just from John Lewis. That's a bit more exotic uh, in those days with its myrrhs and aloes and uh, cinnamon. There's some novelty here. Come on. Life's a bit dull, isn't it? Try something new. Be adventurous, she says. So look, be, be careful. There's smooth lips, physical beauty, there's a sense of novelty. And of course, in this section here, again, she says, no consequences will be a fool's little thing. There's no consequences, she says. My husband's gone. He won't be back for a long time. You can have this pleasure. There's no downside. And the writer would say, it's a lie. Chapter 7, verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going down to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare. Little no, it'll cost him his life. There is a cost. You can say there are no consequences. There's always a cost. Struck, we won't get it back up, but that, that, that Guardian review of the Louise Perry book, Rachel Cook, she's, she's a little overwhelmingly sympathetic. There's one phrase that really struck me, because Louise Perry is calling for families to stay together and just in one couple of chapters presents lots of the evidence for how much better children do if a marriage stays together. But the reviewer, Rachel Cook, observes, all the data... All the statistics and evidence in the world will not make me believe that a child with unhappy parents would be better off, ultimately, if they could separate. I don't care what the evidence says. 
I don't care about all the studies. I believe if I'm unhappy in marriage, it's better for my children to separate. I am not listening to what anyone is saying. I just don't care. I just cannot believe it. I want to do what I want, and I am ignoring all the consequences that people will tell me it'll happen. It's very striking. I mean, I don't know quite how you get yourself to a position where you say, I don't care what all the evidence says. I know I'm, I'm correct and the rest of the world is wrong. I mean, you know, strange place. There's a cost. There's always a cost. Back in chapter 5, the adulterous woman, her lips drip honey. Verse 3. But verse 4, in the end... She's as bitter as gall. Promises a lot. It's so exciting. So, so alluring. Oh, this will, this will bring me something I've not had. Oh. Oh. And so in chapter 5, there's very simple advice. What do you do with the appeal of the adulteress? Chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. When there is a temptation towards adultery, don't go near it. If you struggle online, get a nanny, get a net nanny, give someone your details, let someone see what you're watching. Just don't go near adultery. If you're flirting with someone, a friendship group, more, more often in the workplace, don't go near them. Move. Get another job. If travel is taking you so far away that temptation comes, change. Don't go near this, he says. That's the appeal, though, the appeal of the adulteress. What about the cost? And uh, here is, it really is the least cheerful bit of uh, the sermon, just so you know. Okay, let me not dwell on it too long, but two, two things. The, the, the ruin and the inevitability. Because uh, in the cost, particularly in verse, chapter 5, verse 9 downwards, here is a picture of a man ruined by his affair. Chapter 5, verse Nine, we'll pick it up from verse 8. Don't go near her, verse 9, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. His strength, his energy have gone to another. I guess the picture is something along the lines of, here is a man who's had an affair and he's left home and his wife and the children are in the family home and maybe someone else from the looks of it has moved in and is benefiting from that family home. And he, meanwhile, is on his own in a travel lodge eating takeaways, lonely. And the work of his hands has gone to another, is what it seems to be describing. Verse 11. At the end of your life, you'll groan when your flesh and body are spent. You'll say, how I hated discipline. How I, my heart spurned correction. I wouldn't obey my teachers. I wouldn't listen or give ear to my instructions. I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. 
verse 11, he puts his head in his hands and says, I was an idiot. I was an idiot. I was an idiot. I had so much. And I didn't see it. And I threw it away. I'm an idiot. Verse 12, 13, I just thought I knew much better. My parents, they were so boring and old-fashioned in their views. Friends who tried to warn me, they were stupid, I thought. For goodness sake, the vicar with his ridiculous dated opinions, he was way over the top. And now I look back and think, they were all right. And I'm an idiot. And he's lost his friends, verse 14, I think. In serious trouble in the assembly of God's people, I lost the friendships I had. Perhaps even my family. Very awkward relationships there. You just got to remember verse 5, her feet go down to death. I'm not going down to death. There are consequences. I'll be ruined. If chapter 5 focuses upon ruin, chapter 6 is more upon the inevitability of the consequences. So uh, just a few verses. Chapter 6, verse 27 uh, downwards. Highly vivid language. Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No. Uh, at some point, uh, it'll get cold enough for us to light our fires again next week or whenever it may be. And... Um, Uh, oh look, I've just scooped some fire into my lap. Oh, how unreasonable. I've got burned. Do you know what happens if you throw fire in your lap? Like you take some coals from a fire or or, or, or logs from a fire. Oh, do you know what? It hurts. Go figure. That's the point here. You you can't do this without it hurting you. Verse 27. Or verse 28. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Well, it's just the same, verse 29. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Every so often, uh, in the local park uh, of a morning, uh, walking the, the dog, and um, sometimes David Blunkett is there walking his dog, uh, a former Home Secretary, and um, uh, he's much older now than when he was in power. Uh, and uh, but I always look upon him as a slightly sorry figure in many ways, because I remember a few. I don't know if you remember, but um, he had to resign from being Home Secretary in the Blair administration because of an affair he had with a woman Kimberly Quinn. And I remember watching a documentary, or not documentary, that's overstating, an interview with him afterwards. And he was asked about this affair that he'd had. How was the experience? He said, at one point, I really did think I was going mad. My whole world was collapsing around me. I was under the most horrendous pressure. I was barely sleeping. And yet I was being asked to sign government warrants for arrest in the middle of the night. The doctor at the House of Commons eventually recommended antidepressants to me, then therapy. In the end, I was ruined. And if you remember it, physically, yes, his health collapsed. Financially, he was ruined because he pursued paternity of a child that he'd had with Kimberly Quinn in the courts. It wasn't his in the end. Politically, he had to resign. 
ruined. And chapter 6 says, you do know that's what happens, don't you? And you might think, well, I'm not married. Well, again, it's preemptive warning here. So even in chapter 7, it's young, but chapter 7, verse 7, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young, a youth who had no sense. If you're, the, if you're at the younger end, don't think, well, I wouldn't do that. I don't know what it means to be at the younger end anymore. But uh, don't think, I'll never do that. Don't believe the lies of the adulteress. Casual sex can leave you empty. It doesn't matter if it's with another person or with a computer screen. Empty, worthless. Does not fulfill. She promises honey. She gives you bitter gall. She promises you exotic delights. She leads you to the grave, this personified adulteress. And our culture does seem to get this at points. So uh, some would know, you have to be sort of in your 20s to sort of be aware of this, but uh, uh, Femi, we may have a little wrong. Um, hey, look, here's, here's a young woman writing at age 28, Amin Sainer, uh, writing, it's, it was a little while ago, but uh, the rise of voluntary celibacy, celibacy. Most of the sex I've had, I wish I hadn't bothered. And that's an increasingly common phenomenon, apparently. People getting to their mid to late 20s say, oh, no, actually, I... Casual sex. Do you know what Louise Perry's right? I just leaves me empty. Actually, I'm pretty bruised emotionally from a lot of these encounters. Or um, next one you can learn from the honesty of a Billie Eilish, extraordinary, you know, phenomenally successful uh, singer, of course. Watching pornography destroyed my brain, she says. I started watching porn age 11 and... It screwed me up, screwed up my mental health. Well, let me give you one more here again as, as a, a letter that appeared, uh, again, perhaps to my surprise in The Guardian, maybe, maybe you expected perhaps in some other publications, but uh, a letter to my ex-husband who preferred pornography to me. It's, it's a really miserable letter. Porn ruined you, porn ruined us. Let me read a little extract. When we separated, what came next was not easy. Tears, guilt, divorce. Kids shuttled between two homes, the shock waves extending to our family and our friendship circles. I'm in a new relationship now. You're still alone. People think it's because you haven't moved on that you're still in love with me. But I think we both know it's because relationships require effort and consideration of the other's needs. And the women that you spend time with, they ask you for nothing. In some ways, you are happier in your relationship with porn than you were with me. Don't believe the lie. <laughs> That you can do any of this. You can muck around sexually with another person on your own in a computer and it has no impact. It's a lie. The world can recognize, in part, it's a lie. 
even as it still rushes headlong into this lie. And the father here says, can I plead with you before you make the mistakes? Don't go near them. The appeal of the adulteress, the cost of infidelity, third. The benefits of faithfulness in uh, chapter five. Let's look at some of these. The benefits of faithfulness. Essentially, he's saying when you marry, if you marry, be captivated by your spouse. Chapter 5, verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? No, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Verse 15, be captivated. Quench your sexual thirst with your spouse if you're married. And then you'll be blessed. There's great blessing in that, verse 18. If you faithfully enjoy one another sexually within a marriage, you you can be satisfied there. Verse 19, of course, these sort of a loving doe, a graceful deer, uh, pictures, I guess, of, of, of sleek irresistible, silky hair, some of us once had, that sort of thing. And of course, um, objectively, you could read this and think, I don't, I don't know if I'm stunningly attractive anymore. I think on a good day, I looked all right a few years ago, but stunningly attractive in a way that can intoxicate and satisfy. Objectively, maybe not. Objectively, maybe not many of us, particularly as we age, uh, are put on the cover of glossy magazines. Objectively, maybe not. But subjectively, yes, I think he's saying. That should be true. That there is an emotional intimacy that grows and develops in years of marriage, an honesty and openness that means you can find contentment in your spouse in a way you can't in another. You can just be yourself without, what does she think? What does he think? How do I compare? What was it compared to the last? There's just, it's just the two of us laughing at the bulging bits that weren't there and still having a good time. Now, I wonder for some of us here, if um, we can read these poems, five, six, and seven, we can read the passages that, yes, those warnings on adultery, I'm going to take those very seriously. Yes, I take those seriously. I, I, yeah. I, but this encouragement to be satisfied, intoxicated in my marriage, <laughs> I mean, come on, we're not 25 anymore. Uh, I can take the warnings seriously. Yes, I believe the warnings. The encouragement to be satisfied... Uh, well, that's, that's for younger people, isn't it? And of course, no. Of course not. Now, while recognizing and factoring, of course, there are, if you're married, there are seasons in every marriage where sexual, sexual intimacy is hard. There are physical, physical difficulties. There are emotional blocks. There are times when we need to be very sensitive. 
and also at the risk of being mildly shot. To give up on the physical side of a marriage, there's a cost. That's not God's best for us. There is a cost to giving up on that. If we could put it in these terms, if, if you're unable to eat any food, you can't get hold of food for a while. You cope. It's not what you want, but you cope and you make the best of it. To deliberately deprive yourself of food because there's something good on telly, because life is just busy, that's stupid. I mean, one situation you have no choice and you cope and you make the best of it and it's fine and it could be all right. But to deliberately deprive yourself of something which is really good, that's not wisdom. So there'll be some here who, you know, are married and, and sex has died. And there are reasons for that, physical, emotional, and you cope and you have to talk about that and you've got to be sensitive and gentle with one another. Probably there's some here who just died for no good reason. Just tell he's good. That's about it. And don't deprive yourself of something which is good, which helps bond a marriage, which protects your marriage which is meant to be central in a marriage. Don't do that. So there we go. The appeal of the adulteress, the cost of infidelity. There are great benefits to faithfulness. Last, last little thing. Remember the Lord. Chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. Remember him. The father writes, Four, your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Remember the Lord. And in blunt terms, if you are currently walking on the path of adultery with another, with a computer, on a frequent basis, get off that path. It's taking you to death. Don't think, I know it's not very healthy, and at some point I'll get off the path. Because emotionally, sometimes you can walk too far down the path away from the Lord into sin that you can't find your way back. Do it now. Get off that path now. Stop it now. For others, if we're tempted to walk down that path, well, why don't you start a fire and then throw it in your lap and think, oh no, that's not very nice. Don't do that. Don't go there. But then three final words, three final things, if I may, to remember uh, under this in terms of remembering the Lord. Uh, the first is this. Look, do, do remember his forgiveness. Some here will know, will hear these words, read these words, and they know defeat. And you have stopped and you repented for the consequences of mistakes of the past, and yet still feel rubbish, would well, do remember his forgiveness. The Father warns here, verse 23, you can die for lack of discipline. Well, know that if you said, I am, Lord, I am sorry. Spouse, I am sorry. I stop, I repent. Know then that the Lord Jesus has died for your lack of discipline. There is forgiveness. Sometimes it takes a while for forgiveness to percolate 
mentally to emotions. But confess your sin, trust the gospel. Don't let the adulterers win twice by one, the mistake, and then secondly, living miserably. You do need to remember his forgiveness. Secondly, remember his reward. Some, of course, listen to this and think, oh, golly. These are, these are just miserable verses to listen to because life is disappointing. I'm disappointed because I'm single and things haven't turned out how I wanted. I'm disappointed in my marriage because it hasn't turned out how I wanted. We're just disappointed. Well, keep going. Remember that the Lord, all your ways are in full view of him. And he'll reward you for your faithfulness in whatever situation you find yourself in, even if at the moment it's, to you is disappointing. Remember his forgiveness. Remember his reward. And last thing is this. Remember that marriage is a metaphor. You always have to remember that in talking about these issues. One of the reasons we're made sexual beings with sexual appetites is to make God more knowable to us. The language, the imagery of sexuality in the Bible, uh, it's here. And at some points, it's it's most graphic and most daring when describing the relationship between the Lord and his people, both positively and negatively. Positively, I'd say in the Song of Songs, negatively, something like Ezekiel 16, talking about God's people abandoning the Lord and whoring themselves on the mountaintops. This language is given to us. These emotions are given to us to make the Lord more knowable. Marriage in this life is a picture. It's a parable of the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. Why, I don't know this for certain, why three out of 12 poems on wisdom that introduce the book in chapters one to nine, why three of them on adultery? At least two reasons. One, it's a big issue and it's a real temptation. Two, it's always biblically also a picture of the Lord and his people. Be faithful to him. It's a warning in these chapters. The madness, the folly of running after the new, the exciting, the alluring and running away from the Lord. It ruins you. So in part, these are here as a reminder. Pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. Find your satisfaction in him, be intoxicated with him. So wherever you're at, as you come to look at something like this, remember his forgiveness, remember his reward. Remember marriage, it's, it's a picture. It's a metaphor. What we do with our sexual drive emotions in this life it matters enormously but be encouraged it is also a picture of the Lord's love for you find your satisfaction in Christ the father of Proverbs would say let's pray together Father, coming and reading and listening to passages such as this, there'll be a vast difference, variety of experience, emotions in this room. Father, please meet us where we're at. 
Father, for those of us currently walking foolishly, would we hear your voice clearly and steer clear, turn away, repent and come back to you? Father, for all of us, would we know the wisdom, the health of living your way, trusting in you, not in the the madness sometimes of the world around us. Father, whether we're single, married, whether we're content, whether we're disappointed at the moment, would you help us, even this morning, encourage one another that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do have one who is meant to satisfy and intoxicate, and one day we'll know that in full, even as we know it now in part. Keep us looking to him, we ask, in his name. Amen.